The Bottom Line in Business Talk. Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, and my guest today is Bob Sharon, who is the Senior Tax Analyst with Thompson Tax and Accounting, which is a leading provider of technology and information solutions uh, for the accounting and tax uh, world. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're going to be talking taxes today, and uh, people are very concerned about this right now because the deadline is coming up uh, quite soon here. And we're going to try to talk about all the new things on the uh, 2006 tax return, how people can plan better for 2007. Uh, we'll talk about the alternative minimum tax, all kinds of ways that they can plan for uh, the, the minimizing their taxes in every legal way possible. Just tell us, before we get started, a little bit about your background, Bob, so that we know uh, who we're talking to here. Sure. Um, I'm an attorney, and I've been working in the tax field for over 20 years. Um, I've written and edited a variety of publications for both tax professionals and um, business people, you know, who are not tax specialists. Very good. Okay. Well, let's start with uh, the 2006 tax returns, and uh, there have been quite a few changes on there. And let's go through each of them and, and describe how they work and how you should make sure you take advantage of these things and if this is a one-shot deal or is it something that uh, people are going to be able to do in, in their future years. Uh, the first thing uh, would be the uh, telephone excise tax uh, refund. Uh, as I understand, this goes back to the Spanish-American War. Is that correct? <laughs> That's how right. Before there was an income tax, there was um, the telephone excise tax. And... Uh, this is uh, a simple one-time opportunity to cut your tax bill by at least $30. And while the tax break has received a lot of publicity, apparently a lot of taxpayers have been overlooking it, or at least that's what the IRS releases seem to indicate. Yes. Uh, perhaps that's because uh, taxpayers tend to use their 2005 returns as a model for completing this 2006 uh, return, and the credit was not on those old returns. Also, the credit is claimed near the end of the return on line 71, and your eyes may be glazing over long before you get to that line. I see. Uh -huh. now, do you have to actually prove how much you've been spending on telephone excise taxes? Well, you have a choice here. Uh, there are two ways to claim the credit. The credit is a reimbursement of the 3% federal excise tax that you paid on long distance and certain bundled services for the 41-month period from March 2003 through July of 2006. And individuals have a choice of either figuring out what those actual taxes that they paid amount to or claiming a standard amount. So to claim the actual taxes paid, you do need to review those 41 months' worth of old phone bills and add up the amount you paid. And then in addition to that, you would be entitled to interest on the tax, and that would mean further computations. Um, if you do get that interest, though, before you spend it all, keep in mind that the interest itself is to, would be taxable income for 2007. And that's why a lot of us are taking the easier way out and claiming the standard amount, which is based on the number of exemptions claimed on your return. So you don't need to find your old bills and you don't need to do um, a lot of arithmetic. Mm -hmm. 
The, so what, what is the um, standard amount for this? Sure. It's $30 if you have one exemption, $40 for two exemptions, $50 for three exemptions, and $60 if you have four or more. So you would just take this amount, and this being a tax credit is a dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction in your tax bill, and just reduce your final tax liability by the $30 to $60 amount. And you actually have to file this on... Uh, this form 1040EZT, is that correct? Um, no, if you're filing, that's if you're not, um, are not otherwise filing a tax return. I see. If, if you're filing a tax return on the 1040, it's on line 71, and on the 1040A or EZ, there are specific lines for it. So it's really a simple thing to claim. And, and uh, tell us why this is uh, being phased out and kind of just the, the interesting history of this particular excise tax. Yeah, just a matter of uh, this is a tax on long-distance calls from the days when that was considered a luxury item, and uh, courts have ruled against the government's um, ability to continue collecting it, and finally the IRS threw in the towel and said, okay, we're going to give a rebate for that period starting March, uh, 2003, and after two, July 2006, it was no longer collected, so there's, you know, no concern there. And just pick that 41-month period and then pick these arbitrary amounts between 30 and $60, though I guess they're not completely arbitrary in the sense that they are supposed to approximate what people have paid and are supposed to include an interest element on that tax, although the IRS says that if you claim the standard amount, you will not have to include any extra interest in your income in 2007. Uh -huh. So this is a one-time thing. This is not going to happen ever again. Is that right? Right. This is a claim it now. If you one of those millions of people who neglected to claim it on the return you already filed, then consider filing an, um, an amended return to get the money because this is your one and only opportunity. Okay. Not, not um, often we get such a gift from the government, right? <laughs> not too often. And one little warning I like to give people, um, in order to claim that you cannot have been claimed as a dependent by someone else, so, for instance, your teenage children may spend half their life on the telephone, but if you're claiming them as dependents, they cannot get the credit for their cell phone or the extra line they have in your home. Yes. It's only the, the primary taxpayer in this case that would get it. That's correct. Yes, very good. Okay, so we've now taken, we've given everybody between 30 and $60, so we're off to a good start here. Uh, the next one would be residential energy credits. Now, as I understand, in the, I guess it was the 2005 energy bill, uh, there were all kinds of incentives put in to encourage people to save energy in various ways. And uh, now in the 2006 tax, if they in fact did things, they can take various credits. Let's briefly go over some of the credits that are available if they made improvements in 2006. Sure, yeah, nothing as simple as taxes and these energy credits certainly are not, but they certainly can provide you, again, with a credit, which is a dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction in your tax bill. There are basically two types of energy credits. Uh, the first one is energy efficient improvements credit, and this one is capped at $500. It's available for 2006 and 2007, but the $500 ceiling is an aggregate amount that applies to both years. So it's 500 over the two years, not per year. Is that That's right? correct. If you claim $500 of credit on your 2006 return, then you will not be entitled to any for 2007. Okay. And the types of property that qualify, it again can be divided into two categories. Uh, there's a 10% credit, that's 10% of the cost 
of qualified energy efficiency improvements, which include things like insulation material, exterior windows, including skylights, exterior doors, and certain kinds of metal roofs. Um, for window purchases, however, the credit is capped at $200. So if you spend $2,000 on new insulated windows, which is very easy to do, you would be getting the maximum credit available for windows. And you have to have receipts to show that you've actually uh, bought these things and how much you paid for them? Right. You don't need to submit them with your return, but in case you're audited, you do need to have these receipts available. Okay. Uh, the second type of property that would qualify for this credit is um, certain residents, well, things like a main air circulating fan, which is a fan used in a natural gas propane or oil furnace, a qualified um, gas propane or oil furnace, a hot water boiler, and um, a certain energy efficiency building property, which would include things like heat pumps, central air conditioners, and water heaters. Now, these kinds of items are theoretically entitled to 100% credit, but the, the law places dollar caps on them. So the maximum you can get for that advanced main air circulating fan is $50. Um, the maximum amount is $150 for uh, the water heater, um, hot water boiler, and $300 for those things like the central air conditioning or uh, heat pumps. So All these combined is $500. Uh, right, so it, it, all of those it, it, combined it, it, are $500. <laughs> so essentially, they're not, if you were not planning to put them in, the tax savings will not be enough to make it worth your while. But if you were planning, you needed new equipment, or you, know, you wanted to update your home, this is a nice chunk of change to help pay the bills. I think of it as kind of like a rebate that you get back from the manufacturer, you know. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it, Jordan. Very good. Um, now, in terms of figuring out whether your purchase qualifies, uh, the tax law definition is really complex for each of these types of property, and yeah. they're likely to sound like gibberish to the average consumer or tax attorneys for that matter. They're more in focus in engineering terms. But the IRS did come up with a reasonable solution. So consumers uh, would generally receive a manufacturer's certification statement when they purchase the property, and the IRS says that you may rely on the man that manufacturer's statement. I see. Okay, we actually have to go to a break, Bob. So sure. We're going to come back for more. This is uh, Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and I'm speaking today to Bob Sharon, who is the uh, RIA Senior Tax Analyst from T Thompson Tax and Accounting, and we'll be back. After this, with more ways to save on your taxes. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, the Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, the Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? 
in 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman, the host of The Money Answer Show, and my guest today is Bob Sharon, who's the senior tax analyst at Thompson Tax and Accounting, uh, who's written many books on taxes and is trying to help us understand the tax code and all the changes uh, for 2006. Welcome back to the show, Bob. Thanks, Jordan. But we, were, we were talking about the residential uh, energy credit, and you want to just kind of finish off exactly how that works and what form one use, uses to uh, claim the credits. Sure. Uh, before the break, we were talking about the ones that are subject to a $500 cap, and those are things like insulation, new windows. Another component to the credit is a 30% credit that applies to um, certain kinds of energy creating property, uh, they may also have caps. One is a $2,000 cap for qualified photovoltaic property, which is something that uses energy to create electricity, a uh, $2,000 cap for the qualified solar water heating property, and a $500 cap for each half kilowatt of capacity for a fuel cell property, which is something that uh, converts fuel into electricity, and uh, most of these things need to be used in a principal residence in order to qualify for the credit. However, there are some exceptions, and also another exception to keep in mind is that uh, these hot water heater kind of uh, devices should not be used to heat the swimming pool or hot tub, or they would not be eligible for the credit. I can see an IRS auditor saying, oh, the water went this way instead of that way, but somehow I That's right. I guess there's a policy issue that should you be supporting someone's hot tub. Um, I guess, on the other hand, you could say if they're going to be using the energy and you want to reduce, you know, the um, energy uh, usage, then it should qualify in any account. And so, okay, so how do you actually go about claiming these residential energy credits? Sure, you would need to uh, attach Form 5695 to your return, and that would be where you figure out the credits. 
Okay, very good. Now, there are other kinds of ways of saving your taxes having to do with hybrid vehicles. Is that correct? And how do those work? Sure. Yeah, these are uh, credits that are available for uh, certain hybrid cars that are more energy efficient. And uh, the maximum credit would be $3,400, and that's the sum of two credits, uh, $2,400 credit based on fuel economy, plus an up to $1,000 credit for conservation uh, purposes, and that's also something that you would need to find out from the car dealer or manufacturer because there are complex tests to determine what the size of the credit should be depending on how energy efficient the vehicle is. Is your sense that a lot of people, Bob, actually are taking these uh, tax credits for hybrid cars and residential energy credits? Yeah. Um, I would say the cars, definitely people are aware of those when they're buying them. I'm sure the car dealer is going to be pushing that as, as one reason to buy the vehicle. Uh, with the energy efficiency property, I think people who are making these improvements specifically to get the credit know about it, but a lot of people are just doing home improvements, and they may not realize that that new window they put in or some extra insulation when adding a room could qualify them for credit. Yes. Good. Okay. So we've so far talked about the telephone excess tax uh, refund, mm -hmm. uh, the residential energy credits, the hybrid vehicles, which can be quite significant, several thousand dollars. Sure. And now let's talk about what tax breaks were extended, uh, you know, into the 2006 uh, year. Right. Yeah. In December 2006, Congress finally passed legislation that resurrected and extended certain tax breaks that had expired at the end of 2005. And these are not really new items in the sense that they were around in prior years, but they went off the books at the beginning of 2006, and some of them were resurrected so late in the year that they are not indicated on the tax forms that you would have received in the mail. Yes. But is it online? Can you do it? Is, are they revised? Um, they're their not tax on the tax forms. They're not in the instructions. If you go to the IRS website, they will explain how to do them, but there is no updated version of the form that has them on I see. Okay. So, so, so what are some of the breaks that were, were extended? Okay. The big three for individuals is the state and local sales tax deduction, the above-the-line deduction for tuition expenses, and the above-the-line deduction for teacher classroom expenses. Each of those were extended for two years, that is 2006 and 2007, and I hope later on in the program we could talk about exactly what above-the-line is referring to. Uh, yeah, so let's let's take, take these one at a time. Let's talk sure. with the sales tax deduction first. Now, this is all sales tax. Is there a certain standard amount you can take or however much you paid in sales tax? Right. Uh, the first thing in order to qualify this for this tax break is that you need to itemize your deductions on your return, and you need to choose to deduct the state and local sales tax rather than state and local income tax. Does that and usually work out for somebody? I guess if they're in a lower income level, uh, but they still have to be itemizing. They're going to have more in sales tax than income tax, but most they, people are probably going to have more in income tax, right? Right. Well, it depends where you live. The choice is really a no-brainer if you live in a state with no income tax. Right. Uh, that would be something like Alaska, Florida, Nevada, South Dakota, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming. Yes. Uh, if you live in other states, then you, know, you may want to look at things, work it out both ways. Obviously, if you're in a high-income tax state and actually paying a lot of state income tax, then you would be better off passing up on the sales tax deduction. But 
even some people in states with high income taxes may find that enough of their income is tax-free for income tax purposes that the sales tax deduction would be larger for them? Yes. Um, some states may exempt retirement income or someone may have disability income that's tax-free. So that could really be quite significant. So that you're getting a deduction at your tax uh, bracket, is that correct? That, that's the value of that state and sales tax deduction. Yes. And as you kind of alluded to, there are two methods for figuring out the sales tax deduction. You can deduct the tax you actually paid or use a sales tax table. And as I mentioned with the telephone excise tax refund, to claim a deduction for actual expenses, you need to have those receipts and total up what you really paid. This could be a nightmare for sales tax because you could have so many countless receipts. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, you may have some big-ticket items, say furniture, electronics, um, maybe an engagement ring or the wedding reception that followed, and the sales tax on those might be larger than your income tax deduction would be. So in that case, go ahead, claim your sales tax deduction, even if you don't have all your receipts. So basically, if you had a big purchase on which you paid sales tax, that's when it's most likely to take that this year. Right. Okay. The government has tables, and those would approximate what someone at that income level would be spending. So if you had disproportionate expenses, then you could be better off. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about the higher education tuition deduction as well. How that okay. Works. Yeah, this is a deduction for college tuition, and it's av that's available um, whether you itemize your deductions or claim the standard deduction, the maximum amount is $4,000, and that's available if your income does not exceed $130,000 on a joint return or $65,000 for others. Uh, if your income is over $130,000 but not above $160,000 on a joint return, the maximum deduction is $2,000, and the corresponding sort of phase out, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really fair that it's kind of a cliff where up to 130000 is a $4,000 deduction, then it jumps down to 2000 um, until you get to 160000 and after that you're no longer eligible. So someone who was near the borderline could find out those few extra dollars of income cost them a large deduction. Okay. So you say these are good for two years, and then after that we're not sure what's going to happen, but that's good, going to be good for the 2006 tax year and the 2007 tax year. Right. And if you claim this deduction, you cannot claim certain education credits. So if you're eligible for the credits, which has a lower income um, threshold, you're probably better off using those. Like the HOPE credit and those kind the of HOPE things. HOPE credit and the, yeah, the lifetime learning. Uh -huh. All right. And then the last one is educator expenses deduction. This is if you are a teacher and you, right. you buy certain things for your classroom, that are not reimbursed, you can deduct it. Is that the way that works? That's correct. That's also available regardless of whether you itemize or take the standard deduction, and the maximum amount is $250. So unless you're in a rich school district, uh, you're probably spending that, and it's becoming almost a standard kind of deduction for educators. I see. Okay, and, and uh, these are all on the oh, You're saying these are actually not on the form. They're not on the form, and that's the tricky thing. You would need to get IRS instructions to tell you where to report them. You're reporting them on a line that's listed as being for something else. Ah. <laughs> um, so, in other words, for your state and local sales tax deduction, you'd be looking on line 5 of Schedule A, which is for the state income taxes, and write the letters ST on the dotted line for um, sales tax um, 
for the tuition deduction, you'd be going to line 35 of Form 1040, which says domestic reduction activities deduction, which has nothing to do with... Uh, we have to go to a break. <laughs> very good. Okay, thank you very much. This is Jordan Goodman, uh, host of the Money Answer Show. We're talking to Bob Sharon about taxes, and we'll be back after this with more ways to save on your taxes. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart. Grow profit. And grow your business with Aldana Ambler and the Grow Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. It has been said that to live is to choose, but to choose well, you must know who you are and what you stand for, where you want to go, and why you want to get there. On Reap What You Sow with host, performance management specialist, and executive coach, Alana Daly, achievement and success through expanding yourself and your life is available at the click of a mouse. Reap through redefining your goals. Educate your mind, your body, your conscious, and unconscious. Apply what you learn and plan, and it shall be success over and over again, and wealth result when you Reap regularly. Reap what you sow with Alana Daly. Broadcast each Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Reap what you sow. Learn the rules of the game. Then play better than anyone else. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman, the host of The Money Answer Show, and my guest today is Bob Sharon, who's the RIA Senior Tax Analyst at Thompson Tax and Accounting, a real expert on taxes. Uh, welcome back to the show, Bob. Thank you, Jordan. We're going to talk a little bit about the kitty tax uh, laws here. Now, this is where, in the past, people used to sift assets to their children because the children would be taxed at much lower rates than the parents as a way of kind of escaping taxes. Uh, that uh, kind of was gone a few years ago, but the, the ages at which they can do it and how much they can do it and what rates have changed. So tell us a little bit about uh, where things are with the kitty tax today. Okay. Uh, this tax 
applies to under age 18 children. It used to be children who were under age 14, so for 2006 that age was increased by four years, and children who you may have thought outgrew this extra tax are now back in it. And it applies when the child's investment income exceeds $1,700. So anything over $1,700 in earned income, unearned income, things like dividends and interest, would be taxed at the parent's rate instead of the kid's rate. Is that correct? That's correct. And it's and the parent's those rates, top rate. The rates would typically be at 10% for the kid under $1,700, and the top rate might be 35% for the parent, something like that. Is that right? That's correct. Or if it was capital gains or dividends, it could be a 5% rate for the child versus a 15% rate for the parents. Okay. All right. So you can't give as much money to your kids. Well, or, or they can't earn as much unearned income without being taxed at a higher rate, basically. That's correct, and it does not affect their earnings from their job. Yes. Okay. This is unearned income, things like interest and dividends, basically. Okay. The next area is uh, changes in the charitable contribution rules. Uh, now, apparently there were some people abusing these, and, and they've tightened things up. How have they tightened up things in the charitable contribution area? Okay, the first one is something that took effect in the middle of the year, and so uh, donations of items like clothing or household goods that were made after August 17, 2006, are not deductible unless they are in what the IRS or the Congress called good used condition or better. Um, no one has defined this, and it's certainly a subjective term when you look at all the worn out jeans that are being sold at premium prices in fancy stores. I don't know right. if they determine what's good use condition. Um, and so it, this has to be, uh, you basically get a receipt for, it's depreciated market value, not as though it was new, but it's somewhat depreciated market value. Right. So pretty much you would look at what a thrift shop would sell this same kind of item for. Yeah. Okay, and then also you can make a contribution to a charity through an IRA. Is that how does that work? That's correct. Uh, for two, it only applies in 2006 and 2007, and for individuals who are at least age 70 and a half or above, and they may make IRA distributions of a what, up to $100,000 directly to charity. Uh, these people, people in that age group, are normally required to make required minimum distributions which would be taxable to them, and instead they could have it go to charity, and then they would not have to report the distribution as income. So if they uh, want to give the money to charity anyway, this is a more tax-efficient way of doing it then. That's correct. And you should keep in mind that if you do this, you do not get a charitable contribution deduction for those dollars. Yes. You're not so is, is it going to make sense, uh, considering the taxes you might have to pay, on the minimum distribution, and then if you've got a charitable deduction, you still come out ahead doing it this way, you think? Right. For its various categories of individuals come out better this way. One is someone who normally claims the standard deduction because right. here they're getting a tax benefit for the contribution. Another is uh, someone who's subject to various phase-outs of deductions or credits based on their adjusted gross income. Here the distribution does not count in their AGI. Another category is someone who would normally pay more tax on their Social Security benefits because their income went up from getting a distribution. Um, someone else who would be better off is if the added distribution reduces your alternative minimum tax exemption amount. And finally, a uh, small category of people are the real big givers. Uh, charitable contribution deductions are generally limited to 50% of your income base, and here the contribution would not count towards that base. Yes. 
Okay. And then the, finally, there are cash donation substantiation requirements now that are new this year. What, how do That's those work? right. This is for 2007, so they don't do not affect your 2006 return, but you better keep them in mind for this year. Um, if you make cash contributions, you will not be entitled to a charitable contribution unless you can substantiate them with a bank record or some kind of written communication from the charity. So the money that you throw into a collection plate uh, in cash that you don't have a receipt for would not is not deductible this year. But you could get a receipt from the church or something and, and substantiate right, if it. if they keep track of how much you contributed, yes. Yes, I see. Okay. Very good. All right, so now let's look at um, some various ways that people can plan going forward uh, to save money uh, on taxes. Uh, the first one, which is a big one for a lot of people, is home ownership. Well, what are some of the ways that people can maximize their tax savings using their home? Okay, there are basically three things. One is mortgage interest. The other is real estate taxes. And the third is something that's new for 2007. That's the mortgage insurance premiums. Um, starting this year and actually only for 2007, qualified mortgage insurance that's connected with the acquisition debt of a qualified residence counts as deductible interest. So that means you can deduct it, but it's the deduction eligibility starts phasing out if your adjusted gross income exceeds $100,000 uh, for the year and it is completely phased out at the $109,000 level. Mm -hmm. uh, so it is limited in terms of when you can take it and some limitations on who could take it. The big one that most taxpayers are familiar with is a mortgage interest deduction. And interest on up to $1 million of acquisition debt plus $100,000 of home equity debt is deductible. Now, this is for... Uh, mortgage on your principal residence plus one other home. So if you have three homes, you can decide which is going to be your second one, but your principal residence has to count as one of the two that you're claiming the deduction for. If you're actually borrowing more than your house is worth, I mean, you see these 125% uh, mortgages out there, for example, theoretically the 25% over the value of your house would not be deductible interest. Is that correct? That's correct. And your residence could be a boat or a house trailer that has sleeping space, a toilet, and cooking facilities, so it does not need to be a traditional uh, residence. I see. Uh-huh. And points are considered prepaid interest, which means generally you have to deduct them over the life of the loan. However, there's an exception for points paid on the acquisition of your principal residence, and those you can deduct right away. Uh -huh. And you would recommend doing that. You take it in the year that you close yeah. the mortgage. Yeah, business. take it, you know, up front and uh, you could invest your tax savings. Mm -hmm. um, real estate taxes are deductible. Again, there's a mortgage interest if you itemize your deductions, and there's no limit on the number of homes you can own for which the real estate taxes are deductible, so there's no two-home limit on this. Yes. Okay. Uh, so that would, would include investment property or real, rental uh, property as well? If you had rental property, though, you would not be claiming as an itemized deduction. You would be uh, putting on a different form because it's a business rental a property. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, and then the exclusion on the gain on the sale of the home. This is a 500000 exclusion for a couple of 250000 
for an individual, is that right? That's correct, and that's for your principal residence only. It does not apply to your vacation home. And generally, the home must have been owned and used as your principal residence for at least two out of the five years prior to the sale. And that was put in, I think, in 1997, right? Right. So has that been updated, or are they thinking of updating it? Because 500000 sounded like a lot then, but 10 years later, it probably doesn't sound like that. Yeah, right? no, and especially in some parts of the country, it's not. But um, the figure has stayed the same. So if you're over 500, if your profit for a couple is over $500,000, then you could actually have quite a large capital gain. Is that correct? That's right, and it would be taxed as a long-term capital gain if you owned it for more than a year. So the top tax rate would be 15%, but, yes, you would owe tax on that. Is it, is it the entire gain or the gain over 500000 The gain over 500000 uh-huh. And in figuring the gain, there are a few things you should keep in mind. Uh, usually you start with your purchase price, but add the cost of any capital improvements you made, such as a new kitchen or bathroom. Um, you would subtract insurance recoveries you may have received if you did not use them to fix up the house. In other words, reinvest the proceeds. Yes. And uh, another thing to keep in mind is uh, inherited homes. Um, this comes up a lot where a couple owned a home jointly and one spouse um, dies and then the other one eventually sells the home. And your basis for figuring gain or loss in that case would be bifurcated. Uh, half of the home basis would be half of the purchase price, but the other half would be um, half of the date of death value because you get what's called a step-up in basis when you inherit assets. In yeah. other words, your gain is usually figured on its value on the date of the decedent's death. That's an enormous way of saving on taxes is getting that stepped-up basis. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Not necessarily the way you want to get it, but yes. Yes, indeed. Okay, um, good. So that's basically the main ways with, with the home ownership. Um, we have a relatively short amount of time. I just want to do something more quickly, which would be college tuition uh, tax breaks. What are some of the ways uh, you can get save taxes by when paying college tuition? Okay. Um, one is there are tax credits. There's the HOPE scholarship credit, which applies to first two years of undergraduate education, and the maximum credit is $1,650 in 2006 or 2007. Uh, Lifetime learning credit is a 20% credit of up to $10,000 of qualified expense, so you can get up to $2,000 credit. And you have to choose either the Hope Scholarship, the Lifetime Learning, or that tuition deduction that we spoke about before. Yes. And all of these have income phase-outs. Um, and a married taxpayers need to file jointly in order to claim the credit. Um, another possibility is the Coverdell Education Savings Account, which used to be Education IRAs, uh, was what they were called. And here taxpayers can contribute up to $2,000 per year for beneficiaries under 18. And the account is exempt from tax and distributions are tax-free if used for education expenses. Yes. Um, another we're, one. We're, we're going to have to take a break, unfortunately. Sorry about that. We have a lot of good ideas here, Bob. This is uh, Jordan Goodman again on the Money Answer Show, and uh, my guest today is Bob Sharon, uh, the senior tax analyst at Thompson Tax, and we're going to be talking taxes when we come back from this break. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. 
Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Achieve Total Wealth Management. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, right here on Voice America Business. Three-Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a value-based approach to comprehensive wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road to financial independence. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Have you ever had a bad day and wish someone could come along and change it at the flip of a switch? Do you dream of living the life of wealth, great relationships, and the perfect job, but don't know where to start? Then tune into The Winner's Attitude with corporate trainers, motivators, authors, and hosts, Jeff and Val G. No difficult strategies or complicated keys. Jeff and Val present a powerful and effective technology to switch your operating system to create the most amazing life. It has been said that winners have simply formed the habit of doing amazing things. Winners know how to activate that switch, and so can you. The Winner's Attitude with Jeff and Val G. Broadcast each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The Winner's Attitude. Switch me on. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman, the host of The Money Answer Show, and we're talking taxes today with Bob Sharon, who is the RIA Senior Tax Analyst at Thompson Tax and Accounting. Uh, Bob's written about uh, taxes for many, many years. We've talked a lot about the details about uh, the tax laws and what's changed with 2006 returns and ways of saving on taxes. I want to get a kind of a broader view of the whole uh, tax situation coming up here. Let's talk a little bit about the, the big nemesis everybody has, Bob, which is the so-called AMT, or Alternative Minimum Tax. Without getting into the details of what it is, uh, mm-hmm. what, what are the politics of this? And, I mean, as I understand it, this doesn't change. More and more pe- middle-class people are going to be ensnared in this thing. What, what are the politics of, of changing the AMT going forward here? Okay, the concept of the AMT is to have a lower tax rate, but to apply it to a more inclusive definition of taxable income. And the thing is, the rate as regular income tax rates have been lowered and the AMT rate stayed the same, Uh, the spread became so small that it does not take that much extra income to throw someone into owing AMT because you're paying AMT if that is more than your regular amount of tax. And and, uh, legislatively, there have been talks. In fact, I I think uh, Charlie Rangel, the head of the House Ways and Means Committee, said he wants to get rid of the AMT altogether. I mean, what would be the revenue implications of that? And, and, you know, if that were to happen, how, how would that affect the tax structure? Well, that's it. It would have 
drastic revenue implications. Uh, right now, they're projecting that a lot more people will owe AMT if nothing is done, because the way you figure the AMT is you take your income, you subtract out one exemption amount rather than a lot of smaller deductions, and that exemption amount is not indexed to inflation. In fact, the Congress has passed one-year patches that keeps increasing it to kind of make up for inflation effect. And if nothing is done next year, it's going to drop way down to what it had been several years ago. So a lot more people would owe it. The other political thing to keep in mind is that people in high-tax states tend to be affected by AMT more because state and local taxes are not deductible for AMT purposes. And Charlie Rangel is from New York, which is a high tax state. Yes. Uh -huh. So uh, you think it's unlikely that uh, – what is your outlook here on what will happen with the AMT in the coming two years or so? I think something will happen. I do not think it's going to be repealed. There's been talk about trying to immunize all but the rather wealthy, whatever that means, from it. And even that could be difficult because that does mean having to increase tax on someone else. Um, another thing to keep in mind is that every so often is floating proposals to restrict the deductions on mortgage interest or, um, you know, real estate taxes or other kinds of taxes. And when you do that kind of thing, um, you may find that people have fewer deductions and they don't owe AMT, not so much the mortgage interest because that would only apply uh, for certain kinds of refinancing, but if you restrict any kind of state and local tax deduction, someone may find they don't owe AMT because they owe more regular tax. So you haven't really done them a favor because they're still paying the same amount of tax as they were before. Yeah. Okay, on a bigger basis, uh, when Congress uh, cut taxes in 2003, uh, in order to get it through, they put all kinds of uh, phase-outs and sunsets uh, and uh, the capital gains and the dividend rates, all these things start phasing out. I guess it's in 2008 and 2009, basically after the next presidential election. Uh, what, what is your sense of the politics uh, of all this coming up? This is obviously going to be a big issue in the coming campaign. Um, to, to some extent, you might say the Democrats, uh, if they don't do anything, uh, these things start phasing out and tax rates go back to the way they were in 2001. What, what is your sense of what's going to happen politically with, with all these uh, phase-outs coming? Yeah, I mean, gridlock seems like something that's easy to do and, you know, just Congress can push it off till the future. Um, I think there will be a lot of proposals, but in terms of what action actually occurs is uh, quite questionable. But in this case, gridlock means change. Normally, gridlock means no change. In this case, right, gridlock it means, means it's pushing it off till the future. Um, because those, something would need to be done um, in 2000, you say 2009 or 2011, because the changes would be so drastic. But in terms of 2007, um, you know, even 2008, small patches could be done. And you're so right. I'm talking about the bigger ones, the bigger ones after the uh, 2008 election, when you have you'd have the capital gains rate going back up and the dividend rate going back up, and you have the estate tax returning uh, in, in 2011. The, the big ones, uh, again, it's good right. yes. no, I change. Think, you know. Yeah, the, the estate tax, I, do not, I think the change will be made before 2010 because that's when it would go off the books for one year, and that just seems so drastic that uh, there would probably be a higher exemption amount to reduce the number of people who are subject to estate tax but continue to have the tax for the very wealthy. Mm -hmm. um, what, what do you expect? I think it goes up to 3.5 million 
in 2009. Right. I mean, right? I hear talk about maybe even having it at $5 million. One thing is when it goes off the books, they would limit the step-up in basis for inherited assets. So the very wealthy would find that they would owe capital gain if they sold certain inherited assets. Um, that would be a night accounting nightmare because you would need to figure out what the basis is, you know, when did grandma or grandpa buy this 50 years ago? Yes. <laughs> okay, so that's on the estate tax. And then on the capital gains and dividend rates going back up to where they were before 2003, right. what do you think of the politics of that? Well, it's going from 15 to 20%, which is not a huge amount. Um, so I could see it could conceivably not be touched and go back up. And do you think that would have a, a dramatic uh, adverse effect on the economy if that were to happen? I, I think it would have a big effect the year before. <laughs> it was supposed to people would be selling off certain things to try to get a lower tax rate on uh -huh. gains. But if there's no step up in ba if there continues to be a step up in basis, some people who are older may feel that they might as well just hold it and then there would be no tax. Uh-huh. And, and what are some of the other major parts of the 2003 law that would be expiring in 2009 that, that might uh, hit the economy? Yeah, I mean, those are really the capital gains and the dividends. Um, you know, the dividend part, I think, would have a big effect because it's my understanding is that after the, the rate on dividends went from ordinary income rate, which is now top rate of 35% to 15, corporations started issuing more dividends, and that could affect people's investment strategies. So having the dividend rate go back up to 35% or 39.6, which is what the top rate would be, would be more of an impact than having the capital gains rate go from 15 to 20%. So since they're both the same level now, companies have had an encouragement to increase and start dividends, and you're saying that would go away uh, if we were the way we were before 2003 tax law went into effect. Correct. And do you think that's had a positive impact on the economy to have dividend rates lower and increase the dividends uh, paid by companies? Um, it, may, it may have a difference in um, people's investment strategies and where they may be looking for how a corporation is really producing what kind of cash flow it has instead of um, just you know, assuming that things will go up in value in the future, and maybe that would have helped with the dot-com bust if people were looking more closely at what the revenue stream was from corporations. It made them better stock analysts and, and value income more than growth to some extent is what That's you're saying. That's correct. Yeah. Good. So, uh, and, and then you're saying the most likely possibility here is gridlock, right? <laughs> right, at least for the next year, um, and push a year and a half, push things off until after the presidential election and then leave um, you know, the problems for whoever is elected. <laughs> <laughs> Which tends to happen uh, quite frequently in the future. Right, especially when incumbents are not running. Yes. Very good. All right, well, we're just about to close. I really appreciate your help. Uh, this, this is, again, Jordan Goodman, the host of the Money Answer Show, and my guest has been Bob Sharon, uh, the RIA Senior Tax Analyst. And we've covered all kinds of things on taxes, and hopefully you, the audience, feel better prepared now to deal with your taxes both for this year and what's coming in future years. Thanks, and we'll be back and talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.